Good morning. Good to see you. Did you have a good Christmas? Okay, thank you for your response. You are out there. Okay. There's nobody in the front row here. To, I mean, you know, usually you pay extra for these seats down here if you go to a, someplace. Well, let me just walk down here and talk. No, I can't do that. I'll totally freak out the sound guy and the lighting guys up there. Okay. Um, yeah, I've had a – so everybody want to ask me? I mean, it's fine to ask me if you want to, but how was my Christmas? Uh, thank you. Uh, it was all right. Uh, I traveled 2,000 miles. And uh, we saw family, and we were all in a small house, about 25 of us at one time, and we're all loud. So you can imagine what kind of Christmas we had. Uh, it was interesting. So it was good. It's good to see family. It's good to be back with you guys uh, after being off a couple of weeks uh, and spending some time traveling and visiting and whatever. But uh, this is the beginning of a new year. And so as we begin a new year, it's always kind of a new start for us. And one of the things I thought about and the reason we still have trees up here is because this is kind of a standalone message, and next week we actually start a new series. We thought we'd leave the trees up here for another week because they were so, cute, so so pretty, make you feel Christmassy and warm and fuzzy today because the message is not warm and fuzzy at all. And uh, so that's the deal this morning. But as we start a new year, I began to ask myself, you know, what, is, what do we need to focus upon in this new year at Great Oaks? Because every year is a new challenge. And as I was reading scripture and reading through the book of Luke uh, back just a few months ago and thinking about this year and what God wants us to do here at Great Oaks and how, what are we, the direction we want to go in, I was challenged in a, in a real way by, particularly when I got to chapter 9 of Luke, I would encourage you to, if you don't read anything, I'll start with chapter 9 and read forward, because in chapter 9 of Luke and forward, it, it teaches us some things about the difference or the, the mindset that we have sometimes about what it means to be saved and the whole relationship of salvation and discipleship. Uh, so often, we have this idea of coming to Christ. We, we have people say, say to us things like, well, do you want to come to Christ? Do you want to have a better life? And everybody, the answer to that, of course, is what? Yes, we want to have, we want to have a better life. And so we think, okay, well, you know, pray the prayer, uh, accept Christ, be baptized. And that sometimes that we think that's all there is. But as you read Luke, we understand that that's not all there is. There's something more. And so what we're going to be talking about this year at Great Oaks is to try to help you in a real way to understand that link between discipleship, growing in Christ, what happens once you become a Christian, and, and, and the whole thing of, of, of what it means in, in regards to God's Word. And so what we're going to do, uh, let, me, let me give you a layout of the whole year at Great Oaks. Uh, I only got one gap, and that's in July and August. We don't know what we're teaching those two, two months. But the rest of the year, we know we got it nailed down. Uh, this month, we're going to talk about this today, about a passage in Luke chapter 14. It's probably one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. Matter of fact, one of our leadership team people told me she hated that passage. So we only have one woman on leadership, so you can figure out who that was. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, but she said she hated it because it's so tough. And so we're going to deal with that. I'll figure out we'll start with the toughest and work our way back to the easiest by the end of the year. And uh, then we're going to uh, spend three weeks talking about what it means in a real sense to say that I love God and to do it in a real way. It's a, a brief series uh, for three weeks called Practical Atheist, uh, talking about how sometimes we say that we're, we're Christians, but we live like we're atheists. And none of us would say we do that, but we all do that in some ways. So it will be a challenging series for three weeks talking about some a relationship to what we say we believe and what we do. And then we're going to start, then we're going to have a week uh, where we're going to have uh, some uh, initiative of talking about the Basque uh, the first week in February. And then we're going to jump back into Acts. We did Acts chapters 1 through 5 uh, back in the end of the, end of the summer. 
And we're going to jump into chapter 6 and go all the way through the book of Acts to chapter 28. Uh, and so it'll take us probably through the end of June to do that. We'll have a couple of breaks for Easter and a couple other things. And then I'm not really sure what we're doing July and August. We've got to figure that out. And then we're going to do something totally unique that actually will take us from September of this, of this year all the way through April of next year, uh, except for a break for Christmas. And we're going to do a thing where we're going to do an overview of all of Scripture. We're going to go through a thing and we're going to uh, read through together. Uh, there's a book that's come out that's, that's just Scripture. It's, it's excerpts from Scripture. It's called The Story. And we're going to take you through the story and it's actually showing you how the Bible fits together in all the different parts of the Bible. And so by the end of that uh, 30-some weeks of going through that, you'll have gone through all of Scripture to understand what Scripture and how it fits together and, and all the different things. And I'm excited about that because so often we don't understand how Scripture is really a continuous story of God's love and His connection with us. And so that's our deal. And so it's not just so you can be better informed, though. The purpose is so that you can live a life in such a way that would honor God with everything you do. So this morning, let's start uh, talking about that and uh, put your seatbelt on and uh, get ready, okay? Because, uh, like I said, one of our, you know, this is not the easiest passage in the world to deal with. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to begin with, with verse 25, and we're going to look at 10 verses of Scripture today. And basically, it's a really straightforward thing. And let me make a statement as we begin this passage this day. Salvation costs you nothing, but it costs Christ everything, costs God everything. But discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation occurs in a moment. You can become saved in a moment when you say yes to Jesus Christ. But discipleship takes a lifetime. Salvation is something that God does, God does for you. But discipleship is something that you do with God. And sadly, what I've found over the year is that, is that many people make a decision to follow Christ, but they don't always make a decision to live a life of discipleship. The result is, is that when people hit hard times, they become disillusioned, and they quit, and they give up on God, because they think it's all about that decision about just life being easier. And I want to tell you, if you read Luke 9 through and the rest several chapters there, and a lot of other scripture, we'll understand that God never promises us that everything's going to be easier when we come to know him. I mean, you may have heard incredibly dumb testimonies before, like, well, you know, I, I, my life was tough, I came to Jesus Christ, and everything was wonderful. I don't know what world those people live in. It may not be reality, though, because sometimes we can, when we come to Christ, it doesn't always mean that everything becomes fixed right away. That's not even the life that Jesus himself lived, if you look at his life. And so this morning, you know, I want you to understand this. is Jesus is not a salesman, as we look at Scripture. He's not trying to market anyone, sell anything, con anyone. And he wants us to be absolutely sure, and he's brutally honest with us, about what it means to be his disciple. And it's more clear than any place else I found in Scripture in those passages of Luke, and particularly today in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, that he says this, a disciple... And a disciple is one who's come to Christ. There's not a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. They're one and the same. Do you understand that? It's not like two decisions. Christ is saying when you accept Christ, you accept discipleship. You accept this life of living for God. 
And so he says a disciple is one who believes in Jesus, who worships Jesus, who serves Jesus, who follows Jesus, who obeys Jesus. Who lives their life in light of that belief. So in Luke 14, uh, Jesus asks us this question. Why do you really truly want to live a life of discipleship? It, because he, he lays it out what it is. Jesus does not mince words. And basically what he says, and, and as he goes through this, he says this one thing. He says it four times in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. He says this, do not quit. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be at times wanting to quit a lot of different things. But he says the disciple of Jesus Christ, because we have Christ and the Holy Spirit living in our lives, do not quit. And he says one of the reasons, and he'll show us clearly in the scripture, one of the reasons we often quit is because we don't count the cost up front before we raise our hand and say yes. Because everything that matters is hard. And everything that matters is costly. And so Jesus says, do not quit. Now, let's look at the scripture today. And the first point is this. Okay? I told you it's going to be real simple, straightforward. The first point is this. Do not quit. Next slide. There we go. There we go. Okay. I, I must have put don't quit up there. Okay. Do not quit. The first part of the passage, if you got Luke uh, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, says this. And this is the, the, the great part of it here. If you read this, you're going like, oh, man, this, this is brutal. It says, now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus. And he turned and said to them, now, if you were Jesus and you had a great crowd following you along and, and you wanted them to follow you, what would you tell them if you were a salesman? you tell them what you want them to hear. I mean, you would tell them the benefits and not talk about the, the cost, right? I mean, if you're going to go buy something, tell them I'll tell you, you need to have this because you need this, 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 this will benefit you. This is not Jesus' style at all because he says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's tough, right? It says here, you got to hate. Now, what's Jesus talking about? Because this is the same Jesus. We just sang a song. What was the last song we sang a while ago? Anybody remember? It said the same words over and over. Oh, how he loves me. And that is true. He loves us. And he t- no one teaches about love as much and as well as Jesus does. Is that true? No one teaches about it as much and as well as Jesus does. Because we've talked before because he says our basic purpose is what? To love God. And to love people. But then this is the same Jesus here as this large crowd was following him. He says to him, man, if you're going to follow me, you got to hate all these other, you know, all these people that are close to you. And what is he talking about here? Here Jesus uses the word hate. What's he talking about? He's saying this in a real sense. He's saying that our relationship with Jesus needs to be altogether different than our relationship with anyone else. 
It's at a different level, a different plane. Uh, matter of fact, Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke, and I think it's one of the best commentaries I've ever read on Luke, says it this way. He says, the call to hate simply means to love less. The image is strong, but it is not a call to be insensitive or to leave all feeling behind. Following Jesus is to be the disciples' first love, and this pursuit is to have priority over family members and one's own life, which means that other concerns are to take second place to following Jesus. I mean, there's an example in the Old Testament where there were two brothers, Jacob and Esau. You remember them? And in Romans, it says, in Romans 9, God reveals to us, he says these words, it says to us that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Those words are used in Scripture of God. But what he's saying here, in a real sense, about Jacob and Esau, God was good to both of them. But he chose to work through the family line of Jacob and to put him in first priority, in position of priority. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The Bible tells us to honor our fathers and our mothers. The Bible tells us, and that's in Exodus 20, one of the, the Ten Commandments. And in Ephesians 5, it says that husbands are to love our wives. And in Titus 2, it says that wives are to love their husbands. But Jesus says that love, that priority is always for the disciple to be secondary to our love and the priority of Jesus Christ in our life. And I began to ask myself this question, practically what does that mean? And practically what that means is this, is that there will be times for the person who is a disciple of Christ who has said, Jesus is my first priority, God is my first priority. There will be times when you will face relational pressure as a disciple of Jesus to quit being fully devoted as a follower of him. And that pressure may come from family. Some of you have experienced that pressure. I mean, you may have you know, married someone or you may have been married before you were Christians, and one of you became a Christian. You became a Christian. I guess you're the ones here, so you're the Christian. And what it's caused is tension in your relationship. And I've known people to come to me and have this question, and my, my husband or my wife, I've become a Christian. They're not a follower. They don't want to really believe in this. And the issue is how do you deal with that? Because I've had one person come to me one time and say, my, my husband told me that if I don't quit going to church and don't quit doing these things, he's going to divorce me and leave me. What do I say to him? And I have to look in light of Scripture and say this. You know, I, I don't want a divorce. I do love you. I'm not trying to be divisive, but you're not the most important relationship I have. And if you make me choose between you and God, you lose. I believe that's what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture, as hard as that sounds. You know, there's certain countries and cultures where Following Jesus Christ could actually be a death sentence. In certain Muslim cultures, you know, if they'll actually, if one of the members of the family follows Jesus Christ, they'll actually literally have a funeral service, even though the person's alive, a funeral service, and declare the person dead. And in extreme cases, they'll actually kill the person. They call it honor killings. 
See, Jesus says, you know, when you follow him, you become a disciple of him. He becomes the first priority in your life. And so in doing so, it changes the way you look at things, the way you you see things. I mean, who is it that you've chosen over Jesus? Uh, Who is it? uh, What, you know, let me tell you this. If you're a Christian and you're still in the dating process and you've chosen to date a non-Christian, you've made a choice. Your choice is not Jesus. Because Scripture is very clear about that. You know, you've caved into the fear of people issues. And you've made a decision. By all accounts, you're committing yourself. Committing yourself to Jesus includes committing yourself to the kind of opposition that he endures. And sometimes it may mean some loneliness. It may mean some difficulties. But Jesus says, if you follow me, it will make your life worthwhile ultimately. It doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. And you think of Jesus. He's no hypocrite when he asks this. And let me say this, Jesus is the only person who can make this kind of request. Uh, his own family, Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. Do you know that? They wanted to be, if they had insane asylums back then, they at one time wanted to be committed. His friends turned their back on him. Remember that? Uh, uh, Judas betrayed him. Thomas Peter denied him. And in many of Jesus' darkest days, he was lonely. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, you're going like, I told you this wasn't a warm, fuzzy service today, Okay. But it's a real service because the thing is we have to understand, and so often I think we miss, is that it's not this, well, Jesus is just kind of another part of my life thing. Being a disciple, accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, means Jesus becomes, God becomes the number one priority in everything I do. Everything. And so often, so many give so little for the one who gave so much. And at the end of that verse, too, remember what he says, too, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I think it's interesting because I think it's very disrespectful when people use this as a cultural euphemism uh, for minor inconveniences. Like, you know, like, well, my car broke down and I have to ride the bus. It must be my cross to bear. That's not what it's talking about. I mean, a cross to bear, think about the cross that Jesus bore. It was When you bore a cross, it was literally a sign of a dead man walking. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you follow me, you die to everything else. It doesn't mean there's other relationships. Yes, he tells us to love our spouses, to love our kids, to love others. But the number one love in our life is God, his son, Jesus Christ. And today we live in a consumer culture. And I found this to be true. And this is, this is what, let me tell you, folks, you know, as I get older, uh, some of you are not even close to being old yet. I mean, you think you are when you're 30 or something. I heard a 30-year-old the other day say to me, oh, I'm getting so old. I'm going, yeah, sure. Um, but as you get closer to what we call retirement age in our world, you know, and I'm going like, and I start asking myself, what's my legacy going to be in, in life? You know, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? I've seen so many preachers kind of like go on cruise control at the stage where I am right now. I'm 57. You know, I know I look so much younger, but uh, but the thing is, is that you know I'm going like you know a few years from now I'll I'll be doing something else. 
I mean, I don't plan on leaving tomorrow or anything, so don't ask me, you know, when I'm leaving. I don't know, when God tells me to. But the issue is, is, is I start asking what was going to be my legacy. And I've seen so many guys go on cruise control and kind of the last few years of ministry just kind of like, you know, never challenge anybody, never rake any ripples. I'm going to make some ripples here, folks. I'm going to challenge you. I think it's my, it's God's calling to challenge me and myself and you to raise the level of discipleship in our lives. There would be nothing greater that five or seven years from now, or eight years from now, I'm getting, let's see, eight years, yeah, that'd be 65. Um, that there are people in this church who have committed themselves to foreign missions. People in this church who are, who are, who have committed resources and, and time and, and all kinds of things to doing stuff for God that, that are just people that said, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Just want you to get on cruise control. You're supposed to retire now. You're supposed to, you know, it's all about you. But that's not what God called us to do and to be. And so I would just share with you this morning that we live in this consumer culture. And, and, and you don't, you know, if you don't like a church, what do you do? You go to another church. You don't like the preacher, you go to another, find another preacher. You find someone to give you what you want, not what you need. I love this one missions organization. Uh, I don't know if they still do it or not. There's one missions organization I read about that, that was, that was kind of radical, I think. But I think in a real sense they did it in a real way. That when they would send missionaries out into the world, what they would do is they would pack all their belongings into a coffin to ship with them. In a literally sense, I'm going out, I'm dying to self and I'm living for Christ and I'm going out into the world. And they would write a letter and the person would write a letter that if they died, they would read back. And, and it was some incredible letters that were written by those people who went out from that mission organization. I wonder sometimes it would be a good exercise for us all to say, well, you know, I'm going to die. Yeah, all of us will. The day we, we were born, we started dying. We get coming closer to the day we're going to die. It's a reality of life, right? If you don't think that, you're in denial. But the issue is, is that what, the question is, not am I going to die, but what am I going to do with the time between now and when I die? Am I going to live it for me or am I going to live a life of discipleship? And this was a tough lesson as I was reading this passage of Scripture, this whole thing of not quitting. I was thinking about the 30 years I've spent in ministry already and here in two other churches. And I was thinking about all the people that quit over those 30 years. People who who they quit reading their Bible, they quit praying, they quit repenting, they quit serving, they quit giving, they quit connecting with people in groups. And eventually some of those people quit Christ. Some of them quit their families. And I'll tell you this, I know this for certain, not one of them who quit are happy. Not one of them is pleased and not one of them is going to leave a legacy that's admirable. The first thing that Jesus says to us, when you live a life of discipleship, it may be tough. Don't quit. Point two. That was the longest point by far, okay? Point two. Don't quit. It's got a theme going here. Don't quit. Jesus' second point, verses 28 through 30. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is saying this, Before you commit to something, do your homework. Make a plan. I need to say this to some of you. Some of you 
commit to way too many things. And what God is not saying, and what I'm not saying to you here is this, you need to complete everything that you've committed to. Some of you need to learn to say no. Because it's more important to complete one or two things than to, to go through seven or eight things and carry it to incompletion. To be incomplete in what we do. See, Jesus says before you start something, do your homework. Make sure you've got a plan. Otherwise, you'll be like someone who says, I'm going to build something and it gets started and it's there. I will never forget, while I was in seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, many, many years ago, when I first moved there, there was this guy down the street. I'd pass by his house every day. This little frame house. And I guess at one time he decided to side the house, to put siding on the house. And I was in that area for three years. And during that three years, he got one side of the house completed with siding. The rest of it had the old wood siding on it. And I kept thinking, this guy's, I mean, I know how much it takes. My dad was a contractor. I've done siding. You could do the whole job in a, in a weekend. But for three years, he had one side. And then he actually started one strip on another side. And I ne- he never finished it. It was just there. He didn't count the cost. He didn't count the cost in time and in labor and whatever. And I thought, well, eventually he'll do it. Well, I went back about ten years later to go to something else in that region, drove by that house, and guess what? Still the same. I cannot tell you how many places in America you go to places that are uncompleted projects unfinished buildings, buildings that are halfway built and they never finish them, things like that all the time. In our life, so often what we don't do is we don't count the cost. And what Jesus is saying here to us is this. He says this, do not raise your hand unless you're ready ready to see it through to the end. Don't quit. So some of you need to say yes less, and all of us need to do our homework. We need to evaluate our lives, and we need to ask ourselves these questions. What am I capable of? What can I afford? What can I do? What are my priorities? Because if I raise my hand, according to Jesus, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to complete our project to the end, if at all possible. A disciple is that kind of person. They're not trying. Jesus is not asking you to do everything. I mean, we got some options in the church. I don't expect everybody to be involved in everything. Mike Hazel Bush, I see him out here before the service. Man, he's committed to Basque right now. He's like Basque ready, you know, the Basque. You know, you know, Mike and Tina and that family and some of you others, you're involved in that. I really don't expect you to be as excited about Yolanka as I am right now. Okay? It's all right. It's all right. I love the Basque. I'm kind of cool. It's, you know, in a month from now, a month and a half from now, I'm going to Africa to visit a tribal village, a place that I've never been before. I'm excited about that. And there's lots of ministries in the church. I mean, I'm not equally excited about everyone, but are important because there are people in the church who are committed to that. And we're going to encourage people in that. It's all right. But the issue is, Jesus tells us very clearly that you need to ask the question beforehand, before you do something, you know, you get you to evaluate, count the cost. Now, women, don't take offense at what I'm about to say, because, but this is, just this, this hold, hold in for the whole illustration here. Um, otherwise, you're like a woman who is all about a wedding, but not about a marriage. 
Uh, you're like a woman who comes to her wedding day and she goes through her wedding day and it then, then once it's completed, she looks at her groom and she sell, tells him, we're getting a divorce today. And he's looking at her and going like, what? I thought we were in this for the long haul. And she says, well, you know, you know, I really look good in white and I really enjoyed my photo being taken and I have an affinity for cake. And it was nice to see everybody. I really love the wedding thing. But this 50 years, this commitment for 50 years the preacher's talking about, you know, I'm not really into that. See, there's this metaphor of the, in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, that, that we're, as disciples, are like the bride of Christ. And the sad thing is, and Jesus is our groom, and some of us just want to have a wedding. We just want to get saved, but we're not in it for the 50 years. See, getting married is easy in perspective. Fifty years of marriage is hard. Anybody want to stand up and give a testimony to that? I know some people who could do that. I've been married 30-some years. I'm trying to remember how many. 30-something, 32, I think. Uh, but the thing is, it's, it's even in a good marriage, it's hard. The marriage, the, the wedding was easy. Even though during the, mar- the wedding you think it's terrible. No, that's easy. I mean, the thing is, some of you may have raised your hand for Jesus at youth camp or, or you came forward or you got baptized or you prayed the sinner's prayer. Great, you got married. But now it's 50 years of hard work, of living a life for Christ. That's the life of discipleship that Jesus is talking about here. And see, Jesus is making this clear up front. Here's the people coming to him, seeking him. And he said, hey, this is the way it is. It's about the rest of your life. Jesus doesn't want a percentage of your time. He doesn't want a percentage of your money or a percentage of your devotion. He wants all of you. All the time. So Jesus says, if you do not count the cost, we will be like people who get halfway through something and quit. Because we haven't really counted the cost. Point number three. Guess what this point's going to be called? Don't quit. Okay, you got it. Y'all, 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 y'all sharp. Y'all catch your arm really quick. Don't quit. Don't quit. Verses uh, 31 and uh, 33. Or what about the king going to, out to encounter another king in war? Will he not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Another analogy, saying the same thing he said in the last one in a different way. He says this analogy of this king, he's going to war, and he doesn't even talk to his advisor. Jesus decides he gets mad at the other kingdom, he decides to go to war. And then all of a sudden he goes like, well, maybe I need to go and send some people out to talk to these folks to see, you know, what we need to do. Since I'm mad at them, and I want to go to war, and I only have 10,000 soldiers and they have 20, so what am I going to do? And his advisors come back to him and say, king, I think this is what we need to do. We need to surrender. And he's going, what? See, he didn't really do his homework. And if you don't do that, you're going to quit. And some of us have already quit on a lot of things. You know, it's that time of year. I mean, how's that gym membership going? You've not quit yet. 
But a lot of people, man, I was surprised. No, no, I was not surprised. The other day, a couple of days ago, I went back to the gym for the first time since Christmas, and it was all these people I'd never seen before. And, and if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would have probably bet you that a large number of those people I will not see in two months. Happens every year. Happens every year. I, I mean, how about uh, your New Year's resolution? How's that going? What have you already quit on? I mean, is your life a series of motivated moments and then quitting? Disciples don't quit. That's what Jesus says. See, one of the root words for disciples is the same for the root word of discipline. A disciple is disciplined. They count the cost. They, they, they only do what they can do and understand that they have the, the power to do. I mean, getting married is easy. Staying married is hard. Getting saved, in a sense, is easy. Christ has done it for us. Being a disciple is hard. Making babies is fun. Raising babies. That's a different story. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's life. That's the way it is. And Jesus isn't going to say to any of us, come to me and it'll be easy. He says right up front. He says, hey... Make your life count, but understand it's not always going to be easy. It's a lot like a battle, Jesus says. We have a real enemy. There's a real war going on, and there's a real conflict, and there are real casualties. There are real quitters. Don't be one of them. I was studying, and I found out something about the area of Galatia this week I never knew before. And Galatia is a place that, that Paul wrote to a church and developed a church there. But that area of Galatia in history historically is an area where it's kind of a plain. It's kind of an indefensible plain. There's no, no natural mountains and fortifications there. It's in Turkey. And, and, and as, as the Galatian region for, for hundreds of years, the people would, would, um, uh, they, they were, they were, they won every battle. They never lost a battle for hundreds of years. And, and, and I was studying why that was true. And I come to find out that the reason that was true, that while these Galatians, while they lived in an area that would not seem like an area you could defend very well, why they continually won, because they fought in a different way. The Galatians, what they would do is when they went out to battle, they would take the battle. If somebody would challenge them, they'd go out to battle, and they would not only go out to battle, the guys would go out to battle, but they would take their wives and their, and their children with them. And as they got out near the battlefield, right before they got to win the battle, they would kiss their wives and they would kiss their kids and they would say, Daughters, if, I lose, if we lose this battle, tomorrow probably you're going to be, be eventually marrying the sons of the people that were, that were fighting. And sons, you may be you know, conscripted into their army. And wives, I don't know what they're going to do to you. And they go out knowing that unless they won that all their loved ones are going to be at harm's way because they're right there with them. And for hundreds of years, the Galatians never lost a battle. Look it up. It's interesting history. It's the reason they did, I think, more than anything else, and historians say, is because they had so much to lose. They were all in. They were all in. And, and, when, and when, you, when you have that kind of motivation to fight the battle, guess what? You fight in a different way. See, that's what God wants us to understand. A disciple is all in. You know, and, and I think about this. This is kind of our natural inclination as guys, at least. We have this inclination to, to fight battles and to win and to do something, you know, heroic and dynamic. And we have a dumb replacement for that in our world today. You know what it's called? 
Video games. I mean, nowadays we have, you know, uh, you know, video games are not sinful. They're just dumb. That's my take on it, okay? And they're dumb in this way. Young, particularly men, and now some women are joining in because they want to get on a team because most of these are team games online, and, and they want to be a part of a kingdom. They want to conquer a foe. They want to win a great epic battle, and they do it all with their thumbs. That's what they do, Right? I don't play them, so I don't know. But they do it all with their thumbs. But the thing about these epic battles and doing this is when the the battle is over, guess what? It doesn't count. It's just a game. Nobody's really liberated. People are not really free from oppression. Generations are not really changed. It's all fake. It doesn't count. You want to do something with your life? Get off the couch. Unplug the electronics. Give your life to Jesus. Find some other guys and do something significant with your life. Leave a legacy for generations, not just a high score for, on some dumb game. It's amazing. A whole world filled with guys who want to be on a team, go to a war, defeat an enemy, save a princess. And that's the story of this book, the Bible. God wants us to be a part of his team and do something that's going to make a difference in our world, not just for now, but for eternity in people's lives. Let's make a commitment to make a difference. Now, everyone who plays video games, you hate me right now. I don't care. Because I'm on God's team. Now, if, if you want to play, you know, I'm just saying, you know, hey, think about this. That's a bit, got to be the attitude we have, that we go forward or death. Last point. Last point. Let me ask you what it is. Do not Quit. Don't quit. Okay? Verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how, how, salt, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says the disciple is one who is supposed to be salt. What does salt do? Salt flavors. It enhances. It, 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 it preserves that's what salt does. That's what we're, that's what our job is. We're supposed to be that way. I know the junior high just studied that, right? Y'all last week, I understand that. I'm going like, I didn't plan this on purpose. This just happened to be where it is. Okay. But the issue is, we're supposed to enhance, if nothing else, he says, if nothing else, I'll throw you on the manure pile and become fertilizer. Isn't that a great visual? That's what Jesus says right here in scripture. See, worthwhile living is something that you commit yourself to. So how's it going? What are you doing with your life to make it count? Because Jesus has given us the opportunity to make our life count, to make however long we have here, whether it be a year or five years or ten years or fifty years or a hundred years. Some of you, well, I doubt many of you have a hundred years. But the issue is that long, whatever time is, to make your life count. And God wants us as a church to make our lives count together. And to make a difference in this community. That is why a few weeks ago in the service, and I said this and I'll say it again, ultimately it's not about us. It's about us serving God in this way that it enhances, it flavors, it changes the community we live in and the world, the greater world. And, and my hope and my prayer is that eventually we'll get to the place in our church as we pay off our debt, as we get out of debt, that we won't spend all our resources on us, but we'll spend our, most of our resources will go out the door to serve our community and our world, to reach people for Christ, to be a part of God's team.
Jesus didn't quit. Jesus accepted that his family did not understand him. Now, they did come around, and I pray that if you're in that same situation where your family does not understand you, that they will eventually come around. But Jesus accepted the opposition, the ostracism, the criticism. Jesus shed his blood and died to accomplish something. His death mattered. It was for our salvation. And it seems to me, if you look at the message that Jesus was preaching here in in, in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, but it's the same message he preaches over and over and over and over and over again, where he's really straightforward with, with, uh, with people, it seems unconscionable, perhaps just miraculous, that this man with this message would gather billions of people over history to follow him. But that's what he's done. Because when you come to Christ and you accept salvation and you understand the discipleship, growing in Christ is part of that as well. It makes a difference. Not just in your life. But in the world that you live in. And I don't know about you guys, but I think that you want to make a difference too. But it means we have to understand that we have to count the cost. That every day and every decision that we make, that Jesus is the highest priority. Family comes below that. And everybody else comes below But Jesus. And it means so many things. We're going to flesh that out over the next months how we live that out. As we look at the book of Acts and we discover how the church and community grew and reached people and struggled and went through. I mean, it's the book of Acts is not about all happy stuff happening. There's some tough times. Second or third week, we're talking about Stephen. Uh, I wouldn't call him having a, you know, one happy time. But he was a guy who, who experienced, his death c- counted in a huge way. This year at Great Oaks, My prayer for me and my prayer for you is that we will live our lives in such a way that it counts. That it counts. That we make such a difference that it's not going to be about how many people come to Great Oaks. It's about how we love God. That's what people will know us as. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.